joining us on our Brentwood Church podcast. To find out more about Brentwood, go to brentwoodchurch.org. During this episode, Pastor John shares a great message that we pray will lead you to new and deeper levels with Jesus Christ. So open up your Bible or Bible app and grab a notebook or simply listen along. Let's talk about good intentions with bad results. You know, for the next four weeks, we're going to talk about relationships. We're going to talk about interpersonal relationships. We're going to talk about relationships like what we just prayed for just now. You know, sometimes we have good intentions in relationships, and relationships are the most fulfilling things in our life, and yet so often we are so bad at making them work. I mean, we go to school for years to learn math and science and and, and all of those subjects, history and, and our personal disciplines, some of you studied medicine and some of you studied law and, and you studied all of these things to someday have a profession that would be, uh, you know, that would be beneficial because of this education. And yet so few of us actually get relationship education. We just assume, well, I guess my feelings and my intuitions and my intentions will be enough. And we do the same thing in the church. We have good intentions because we believe and follow Jesus. And often those intentions come out of a heart of compassion and a heart of concern and a heart of care. And we don't recognize that even though our intentions are good, the results are really, really bad. And they are more harmful than they are helpful. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to look at these things. We're going to look at four things that we need to stop doing in relationships. This is a very practical series. This is a series where you're going to want to take notes. This is a series where you're going to walk out of here and not just in the next week, but probably in the next hour that you hear this content, you're going to be applying it. You're going to be making phone calls. You're going to be texting somebody. You're going to be showing up at somebody's uh, house at the end of the day trying to work some things out. You're going to be making some decisions. Here's the first thing that we need to stop doing of four things. Stop repeating the same bad relationships. Stop repeating the same bad relationships. That's going to make more sense as we go. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. My wife loves sleep. Yes, she has, especially when she was uh, get, uh, when she was pregnant and then when she had these children and they were kind of, she was exhausted and she loves sleep. And she does not like it when she is awakened in the middle of the night for any reason. She can totally have sympathy and concern if it is a child crying off in the distance who needs motherly nurturing but not when her husband wakes her up at three in the morning and says, do you want to talk? Or are you feeling what I'm feeling? You know what I'm saying. This has been a problem for many years. My wife has said to me repeatedly, please, I know that you get up at three o'clock in the morning and whatever curse that is that God has put on you, I will pray for you, but please do not wake me up. Please do not wake me up. I do not want to talk. I do not want to love you. 
I will at six or seven, but not like we can talk the rest of the day, but please do not wake me up. And we have had this conversation for years, and I've said, I'm so sorry. I know. I just thought maybe, you know, that this this would be the exception. This morning you would be okay if I talked to you and, and so on and so forth. And, and, and I'm so sorry, but I never changed my behavior until two years ago. Two years ago, we had a three-hour conversation about this matter. And I finally decided that I really was sorry and that I really wasn't going to wake her up ever again unless the house was on fire. And then maybe I would just carry her out. I tell you that story because we've all been sorry to appease somebody. We've all been sorry to sort of get the consequences or the pressure out of the way, but not really wanting to change. We've all had a friend. You've had this friend. You maybe have had this family member who was a chronic liar. I mean, he lied about everything, lied about stuff he didn't even need to lie about. And you caught him in several lies. And finally, you just said, hey, why do you do that? Like, it's very hurtful. I can't trust you when you lie like that. Oh, I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? Yes, I forgive you. But the behavior never changed. You had this job, you loved the job, and you got a new supervisor on the job, and the new supervisor wasn't like the old supervisor. This supervisor just started to create a very toxic and hostile work environment, and you know there was gossip and slander and backbiting and, and, and outbursts and all of these things, and finally you go to your boss, and, and, and she, you know, she receives your, your feedback, and she says, I'm so sorry, this is not how I intended for this team to be, and you know, will you forgive me? Yes, I forgive you. And the next day, the behavior starts all over again. You've had that, that sibling or that parent who had an alcohol or drug addiction and would show up at the parties and the, and the weddings and the receptions uh, half drunk or a little bit high and, and, and would be behaving out of that uh, irresponsibly and immaturely, and you go to them and you say, man, you got this problem and it's destroying your life and it's destroying our relationships. What are you doing and what do they say? I'm sorry. I'm sorry, you're right. You're so right. Will you forgive me? Yes, I forgive you. Of course I forgive you. But the behavior never changes We've all been on either side of that. We've been the person who's really sorry but not really changing. And we've known those people who are really sorry but not really changing. And today we're going to talk about those relationships. Because, you know, if you believe and follow Jesus, there's a part of you that feels very much compassion and concern and care for people who are making very bad decisions with their life. And they're really sorry, but they're not really changing. And what we have to realize today is in order for those relationships to get better and for them to get better and for us to get better, they have to understand and we have to understand the full scope of love. And when I talk about the full scope of love, I'm talking about the tougher side of love. People who believe and follow Jesus, we are taught and we understand and we, we get that 
We need to forgive people. Why? Because we've been forgiven so much. We need to forgive people. But trust is a whole other matter. You know, love has been said to win. You guys, you guys, heard, you guys see this? Love wins. I like that. Like, that's a cool bumper sticker. I mean, there's a, there's a lot to that. Love wins. And when you think about love wins, it, it, it's the compassionate and graceful and tolerant side of love. And man, we need that kind of love. We need a love that has reckless forgiveness for people. Why? Because God has recklessly forgiven us. I mean, some would even say scandalously forgiven us. That kind of love wins games, if I can use the sports metaphors. But tough love wins championships. Can I get a witness up in here? Okay, what do I mean by that? Tough love wins championships. I'm talking about the truthful side of love. I'm talking about the, the side of love that asks something tough of us, that asks us to have tough conversations, that asks us to receive tough conversations. That side of love that asks us to put up some boundaries with some people that we love and care about. That tough side of love that says, you know what? We have to change some things, and this is uncomfortable. That kind of love is what wins championships. What do I mean by championships? I'm talking about the full life of a relationship. If we don't understand and apply this side of love, the truthful, transformational side of love, then our relationships will grow bitter, and they can lead to breakup. And we never saw it coming. We never saw it coming. Why do I feel this way about her? What happened to him? He, like, he never talks to me anymore. What's the deal with that? Like we just, we had this relationship and I don't understand. And the reason that you don't understand is because you don't understand this side of love, that love is two-sided. It is grace and it is truth. And man, if we can get this, and this is the good news, the Bible teaches us this. It teaches us how to understand and apply the tough side of love without being hard-hearted or weak. And I love that. And so here we are in Matthew chapter 18. The apostle Peter is talking about one of the cornerstones of all relationship. The cornerstone of restoration in all relationships, and that is forgiveness. And he's going to Jesus and he's saying, Jesus, I have a big question for you. What is his question? Here it is. Here it is. Here it is. Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I? I want you to say this word with me. One, two, three. How many times shall I forgive? Forgive my brother or sister who sins against me up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. There's a lot in this conversation, and I want to break it down for a second. Because Peter says seven times, but you know, the law and the religious leaders of his time and Jesus' time only required and only taught that you had to forgive someone who had offended you three times. After three times, forget about it. I'm not forgiving you. It's over. We're done. Why? Because they take that from the prophet Amos, 
where they said that God forgave the enemies of Israel three times. And they said, okay, there's our standard right there. If God forgave the enemies of Israel three times, you only have to forgive somebody three times. So Peter, to impress Jesus, because remember, he's been hanging out with Jesus. To impress Jesus, he's like, more than doubles it. Huh? Seven times? And Jesus, being witty and playful like he is, he says, I tell you this, not seven times, but 77 times, and that number really isn't 77. It means something entirely different, and that is an unlimited, unconditional amount of forgiveness. When it comes to forgiveness, Peter, when it comes to forgiveness, church, it is the same forgiveness that you and I have been given by God unlimited and unconditional forgiveness. And I don't know about you, but I am so glad that God has given me unconditional, unlimited forgiveness. Otherwise, I'd be lost forever. Yes. Yes, that is the gospel right there. And love, love gives forgiveness recklessly. Recklessly. But there's something else that love also does, and that is love demands change for trust to be renewed. Yeah. Love demands change for trust to be renewed. If you don't write anything else down, write that down today. Because if we don't understand that forgiveness and trust are not the same thing, then we will buy into two very reckless mindsets. What are they? Counterfeit trust. Here's counterfeit trust. What is that? That is the understanding that if grace is reckless and I give it unlimited and unconditionally, then I must do the same thing with trust. I must give it unconditionally and unlimitedly. I, I, it, it, okay, well, I, I believe and follow Jesus and God has forgiven me and he will continue to forgive me, so I must forgive you, and, and that is true, but we we give trust back at the equal level that we give forgiveness. And as a result, we get into the next steps of that relationship and realize that person hasn't changed. They were sorry to appease us, but they weren't sorry to change. And as a result, counterfeit trust creates a frustration that leads to bitterness in a relationship. Counterfeit trust is unkind and it is unloving. And it starts with us believing that we have to just say, I forgive you, but also say, I trust you in the same breath. And those two things are not the same. And here's where we get into the tougher side of love. We have good intentions, don't we? I forgive you and I trust you. I forgive you And I trust you when in reality, we have asked nothing of that person. The reason they don't change is because you didn't ask them to change. You just gave them trust. You just gave them trust the same way that you gave them forgiveness. On the other hand, there's suspended forgiveness. There's the person who's here today who hasn't forgiven somebody who's asked for it. Maybe they didn't even ask for it because you don't trust them. 
They have not given you a reason to trust them. They continue to do the same destructive, bad, hurtful behavior to you and to other people. And because of that, you believe that until you can trust them, you cannot forgive them. Hmm. And that is a reckless and destructive mindset. Because, here's the deal, if you believe and follow Jesus, then you understand and I understand the forgiveness that's been given to us. Here's what we need to do. We need to draw some distinctions. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. Here's some distinctions that I want to draw. Forgiveness is given. It's given. People should not earn our forgiveness. They don't have to behave themselves into our forgiveness. They don't. Why? Because God forgives us. He paid the price for our forgiveness by giving his one and only son, Jesus Christ. He says, you have a debt that you cannot pay ever, ever can you pay this debt. There is no sense in you trying to earn this forgiveness because you would never earn enough to earn it. To pay for it. It is grace. It is given to you, and I give it to you, and I want you. And he teaches us through Jesus and the Gospels and through the New Testament, uh, the rest of the New Testament, that forgiveness is given. You give it to people. And you know what? That, that doesn't always come so quickly for us. Sometimes we have to, we have to but we have to understand that forgiveness is not about an emotion. It's not about how you feel about that person because you may still feel very, very hurt by that person. You may be feeling very, very angry towards that person. You may feel some really hard feelings towards that person. Forgiveness is an act of will. It is something that we decide we are going to do because we know that it is what God demands of us because he has given us that forgiveness. That is forgiveness. It is given. It is given, and it is not about how we feel. And listen, it is not optional, Brentwood Church. Forgiveness is not optional. I know somebody hurt you really, really bad. I know that he walked out on you. I know that he abused you. I know that she continues to say things that are so hurtful to you. I know that she has abandoned you and will not talk to you. I know that. And you have very hard feelings. You wrestle with the feelings. But the Holy Spirit of God that is in you, if you believe and follow Jesus, says forgiveness is not an option. And I'll help you with it, but it's not an option. You cannot suspend forgiveness and live a life of joy and live a life in the freedom of the kingdom of God. Forgiveness is something that we give. No one earns it. Trust, on the other hand, is earned. It is earned. It is built. Let's keep going. Forgiveness is based on grace. Trust is based on works. Someone should not demand that you trust them right away. 
They should say, I'm going to do whatever it takes to make sure that you trust me. Thank you for your forgiveness. I now will seek to earn your trust. Good intentions. Good intentions is counterfeit trust, though, right? Good intentions. Well, okay, I guess I'll just trust you again. Think of it like this. Many of you know Brett. He's our groups and, and uh, development pastor here at Brentwood Church. We all know, love uh, Brett. Uh, Brett with the, the Taliban beard. Okay, Now he's gone back to the Kenny Loggins beard, 1980. Yeah. Love Brett, love Brett. Let's just say for a second, uh, Brett comes up to me and he says, Hey, Pastor John, and he stomps me right on the foot. Just just stomps me like, ow, like, Brett, what, what in the world, man? What are, you, what are you doing? What's up with that? Oh, man, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. I'm sorry that I did that. Will you forgive me? Yeah, yeah, of course I forgive you. Of course, I, I forgive you. A few minutes later, he walks up. He stomps on my foot again. Ow, like, Brett, what's the deal, man? Come on, what are you doing? Oh, man, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? Of course I forgive you. But can you not do it again? Yeah, I won't do it again. I won't do it again. He comes up to me a third time, but I move my foot before he approaches. And he gets upset with me. Hey, what's the deal with that, man? Why are you moving your foot? Because I forgive you, Brett, but I don't trust you. Yeah. I forgive you, but I don't trust you. Because forgiveness is given. Trust is earned. It is earned. And Brentwood Church, here's what we do. We do this in relationships. We either suspend forgiveness. You got to earn it. No. No, you don't have to earn it from God. And he says no one should earn it from you. Forgiveness is given. I forgive you. I pardon you. I will not hold this against you. But trust, on the other hand, has to equal change in your behavior. John the Baptist. John the Baptist. Listen to what he says. He, he, he's a, the forerunner of Jesus Christ. He came to sort of pave the way for the Messiah. And, 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 and he, was, he was just like all prophets. He was a little bit uh, insensitive to people, uh, a little bit weird. And he's out there in the wilderness, out on the fringes, and hundreds and hundreds, maybe even thousands of people come out to the wilderness there by the Jordan River to hear him preach and proclaim and to baptize people. And he has this relationship with the religious leader the same way that Jesus did, and it's, and it's a bit antagonistic both ways. And this is what happens in Matthew chapter 3. It says this, it says, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the the coming wrath? Brood of vipers, what does he mean? Today, we would call that person a phony, an imposter. You guys are a bunch of imposters. You guys are a bunch of fakes. And what he meant is these guys were just coming out there to be seen, to appease the crowds who were really out there. The crowds were out there to hear a a, a message of repentance. And these guys were just out there to be seen and like, hey, look, we're out here too. We know you guys are into this and 
we're not really into this, but we want to impress you. And what John the Baptist says is, he says, you guys are a bunch of hypocrites. You guys are a bunch of phonies. You don't really want to change. These people are out here because they want to hear a message of change. You just want to be seen. And listen to what he says in verse 8. He says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. In the NLT version, it says this, prove by the way you act that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Prove it. Prove it. Anybody ever said that to you? I forgive you, but prove to me that I can trust you. Man, I don't like that, do you? Because there's a little part of my pride that's like, well, I just said I'm sorry. Said I was sorry? Come on. What's your problem? I demand that you trust me. Oh, oh, and, and why would you demand that I trust you? Because I'm sorry. Oh, okay. So where is your sorry? Is your sorry for appeasement? Or is your sorry for repentance? Because those are two different things. In fact, repentance, what does it mean? It means a change or transformation of the mind that you literally change the way you see yourself. And that's what John was saying to the religious leaders. You guys walk out here, act like you don't need anything. Like you don't have any problems. Like you don't need any of this stuff. You just want to be seen. You need to change your mindset about who you are and about who God is and where you are with all that. You need to change your mind from, I don't have any problems and I don't need this to desperation and dependency on God. You need to change your mind because when you change your mind about who you think you are and who God is, you will change the way you act. You will change the way you act. Sorry is driven. Why? It's driven by repentance and not appeasement. Repentance. I am sorry. I regret that. That has broken my heart what I've done to you. I don't want to ever do that again. Will you forgive me? Yes, I forgive you. Will you trust me? In time, I will. In time, I will. Uh, many of you guys know, and I asked my son if I could share this story with you guys today. He says, if it will help some people share the story. So, many of you guys know that uh, my sons uh, operate a, a landscaping or a mowing business. I told you guys that a few weeks ago, and I've told you some stories about that. Uh, technically, I own the business, but they operate the business. I want you to know that I love my sons. I love them both. I love them equally. I, I literally, I, I never thought that I would understand that until I had three kids that I can love them all equally, even though they're all different. I love them. But I had to fire one of them this week. I did. I did. And, and, and here, here's what happened. It, it, was, it was a case of chronic insubordination to his manager slash brother and chronic complaining to the owner slash father slash me. I mean, I would get calls in the middle of the day, blah, 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 and 
this and that, and I'm a victim. He doesn't appreciate me. He tells me what to do. So what do I do? For, for a few weeks, I'm coaching, I'm developing, you know, charts and graphs. You see, son, if you do this, you know, it'll help you be a better employee. And, you know, don't demand that your boss give you opportunity. Earn it. Like, go out there and, and show him that you can, you can give, give the 110%, and he will see that, and he will, he will, he will show you that he will give you opportunity. So I got a call this week. It was a FaceTime call. So I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm looking at my two sons. My one son is like, and the other son is like, he and, and me and the whole thing. And that's what I said. I said, I appreciate that. I really do. Uh, here's what I want you to do. I want you to finish the job and I want you to finish well. Uh, but we're going to go ahead and let you go. And we're going to uh, we're gonna find somebody who really wants to work with your brother and wants to, to work at the job. What? Yeah. And he's, he said, did you just fire me? No, you fired yourself. So for the next 24 hours... I had to play two parts. I had to play, Father, I love you. I love you. I heard you lost your job today. Man. Wow. Mm. I'm so sorry. Then I had to be owner of the company. Like, hey, man, you know, that's, that's too bad. It's too bad. And, and, and so he approaches myself and, and his brother uh, wanting his job back. And I said, no, you can't have your job back, uh, you know. And, and, and then I said, you know what, though? I said, I'll tell you what. You can, you can have another chance, but we, the two of us, have got to see that you really are going to change. And I want you to write an essay. And I want you to answer this question. Why and how are you going to change the way you think about yourself and the way you think about this job. And I want it Wednesday. And he got it to me two days early. And this is what it says. I learned that in jobs that I need to be flexible and hardworking, What I need to do better is that even though my boss is my brother, I need to treat him like a customer. I like that. I feel like it's important to work extremely hard, and I appreciate the opportunity to make such good money. Moving forward, I will have a grateful spirit. And then he puts some Bible verses in there because he knows me. Yeah. Proverbs 3.14, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. And I, want, I don't want to be a sluggard, he says. And then he quotes 1 Peter 5.5, 5, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, 
with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Yeah, come on. Come on. So this is what I said. I said, you are under a probational period, but you can join the team again. What did we have to see? Second chances. Listen, write this down. Second chances. Not a repeat of the first chance, but moving forward to something new. Moving forward to something new. A second chance isn't about us forgiving and just trusting. It's about us forgiving and watching them build trust through changed mindset and behavior. The same thing is true if we were on the opposite end. We should receive forgiveness, but we should not expect trust until we're willing to change and to earn it from the people that we've sinned against and hurt. What would happen if we unleashed those kinds of people onto the streets of our country? I believe things would change. Let's go back to Matthew 18. Matthew 18. Jesus says this, and then I want to bring this home. He says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. Just between the two of you, if they listen to you, you have won a brother. He says, listen, just, just go and talk about this. That's a tough conversation, isn't it? You know, in our culture, in our society today, we, we resist that conversation. Why? Because we don't want to be seen as a hater, and we don't want to be seen as, as somebody, well, you do this too. Why are you coming to me about it? We, we don't want to be seen as inconsistent, and, and we're going to talk next week about some other things that, that, that keep us from, from getting good results in, in relationships. But, man, this is the first thing that we have to do. And that's tough love. That's tough love. Hey, you hurt me. That really, really hurt me. You, you created an expectation and, and you, didn't, you, didn't, you didn't follow through with it. You told us you were going to do this and you didn't. But look what Jesus says. He goes on. He says, he says, but if they will not listen, take one or two others along. So that they, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. What is he saying? He's saying, look, get some other people around this situation. You know what? You could be not seeing things correctly. You need some other people to go with you. Because they may say, hey, John, you're being a bit unreasonable here. Or they may say, hey, both of you need to make some changes here. Or they may say, hey, you just need to ask forgiveness. And you need to change some things. But take some other reasonable, spirit-led people with you if things haven't changed. The next. This is so practical. This is Jesus. And he's just saying, hey, here's how you have human relationships. Here's how you do it. I know you have good intentions, but they're getting bad results. So why don't you follow this instead? And then he says this, if they refuse, if they still refuse to listen, Tell it to the church, and if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. What does he say? He says, look, at some point, if this person does not want to change, then you have to say, until you're willing to change, our relationship has been redefined. I love you. I love you. You're my daughter. You're my mom. You're my dad. 
You're my son. You fill in the blank. I love you. But until you are willing to address this destructive behavior, we cannot continue in this relationship acting like nothing is wrong. And Jesus says, treat them as if they don't believe the truth. Do you love them? Absolutely you love them. Do you forgive them? Absolutely you do. Do you trust them? No, not until they change. And the same thing goes for us. Flip that right into the inverse. Do we receive forgiveness? Absolutely. Do we ask for it? Absolutely. Do we demand trust from people that we haven't earned it from? No. No, we don't. We get busy earning it. Not forgiveness. That was given. But trust. Listen, Brentwood Church, love wins. It does. And it loves. Compassion forgiveness, tolerance wins. It wins games. But tough love wins championships. We have got to get good at this, Brentwood Church. We've got to get good at not being hard-hearted and not being weak, but being humble in what we ask of people. And that is, yes, I forgive you, because that is given and that is my part. But I want you to change. And here's what it looks like. And if you're willing to do that, we will step boldly into a new place in this relationship. Stop, Brentwood Church. Stop, John Dupin, repeating the same bad relationship. Get tough, because it's just as much a part of love as anything else. Listen, love forgives recklessly, but love demands change for trust to be renewed, period. Love forgives recklessly, scandalously, I forgive you. What you have done, I forgive you unconditionally. You just blew up a lot but I forgive you because of what Christ has done for me. But I love you enough, son. I love you enough, dad. I love you enough, friend. I love you enough, coworker, to also say, I'm going to need you to change for me to trust you again. But I love you, and that's what love is. Wow. So, Two questions. Let's get practical, and let's respond to this. Two questions before you return to a relationship that has a cycle and seasons of bad results. Am I different in some significant way that, I, that, that would make this work? Have I changed in some significant way? And number two, is this person or persons different in some significant way that would make this work? And if you can answer both of those questions, yes, then enter that relationship as if it is a new relationship. Good intentions, bad results. Let's change that to godly intentions, godly results. Tough love wins championships. 
Thanks so much for listening today. We believe that everyone has a next step towards Jesus and we'd love to help you take